Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Chani and Leon Everett. I'm Greg Driver. Let's get started. Happy New Year. Welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 26. Uh, the first episode that we're doing in 2018. Um, it's a whole new year of comic six before us, and if it's anything like last year, it will be a great one. I am joined today by the usual suspects, Leon and Ray. Hey guys, happy new year. Happy new year. So with the publishing of so many truly great comics and graphic novels over the last year, what we've decided to do for our first show of 2018 is to reflect back on some of our favourites. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of top tens flying around the internet. Uh, people have been doing top 10 lists for various uh internet news outlets some of them are pretty good some of them are dire and should never be read and should be banished to the black hole of internet rubbish that never gets clicked (laughs) forever harsh i mean fair but harsh (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah top 10s are difficult top 10s are really hard especially if you like me and you love everything so uh instead of trying to compile a top 10 what we've done is we've decided to just talk about our favourites with no particular ranking system or judgmental order. So this <laughs> did you find? Did you only find eight, or did you find at least ten, though, Greg? I found more than ten. But what I tried to do, <laughs> I, what I tried to do was I tried to be selective and pick ones that I, I really, really, really liked. So like, my mm. my top ten would have been a top one hundred. So there's too many in my top ten. Yeah, you've got to kill your darlings sometimes. And exactly. Be savage. And what I also tried to do was I tried to make it not superhero comics, Ooh, but, but but I've I've ended up making a I've ended up putting in a superhero comic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh this is the uh, Ace Comicals favorites of 2017. So that's what this show is. So um, each of us has a list of things that we love the most from last year that we've probably talked about previously on the show. So all we're doing is just reiterating why we love it and how we love it kind of thing uh there's also a list at the end of the show or towards the end of the show that will be all of the things that are coming out this year 2018 that we're looking forward to so i guess i'll start it off with uh, my list so on my list these are in no particular order by the way i've not ranked them at all first one i've got here to talk about is scales and scoundrels i don't know if either of you two read it i think ray might have picked a copy of it up but i don't know yeah, I picked up issue one, but I never actually continued with it. Really great art style, though, if it's the one I'm thinking of. It is, yeah. It's the uh, it's the really sort of bouncy D&D-ish story with, like, the really colourful, dreamy art style. And, like, mm. it's... I, I, I love reading this book because it's relaxing to read and because it's just so far removed and far flung it's just the same reasons i enjoy playing dungeons and dragons is why i enjoy reading this book because it's like proper escapism and the art style is really nice it's really bouncy really cartoony and it's just it's something that i can after having a really really rubbish day you can come home open a copy of scales and scoundrels and read it and feel better because it just makes you forget about everything um, and like it's got this really relaxing palette of dreamy colors going through each panel and it's like the art style is really it's not there's no hard lines it's all curves and like a watercolor wash kind of thing isn't it yeah like a watercolor wash over loose rounded 
drawings. I mean, the lines are bold, but they're not hard. They're not harsh. Um, and this is why I like it. And I, I just, I love the story as well. I love this kind of like, uh, this Dungeons and Dragons style world we're in with these adventurers and um, this young girl who is a treasure hunter, but there's something quite special about her that I'm not going to spoil in case you intend to read it. Um, and obviously the people that she joins up with, this band that are kind of on a jaunt because um, one of them is a prince of another nation and this is what they do. They go on adventures to... I think I think it's kind of to... Um, like, a, like a, a rite of passage type thing. Coming of age style thing where they go on an adventure. And I think I, I, I like it's really cool. I like the love of the characters in it. There's, uh, there's this little dwarf girl who is um, afraid of the dark. And this whole thing that dwarves live underground in the dark and she can't stand the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic little book. Um, and Who's that, is... that done by again? Um, Scales and Scoundrels is Sebastian Gurner and artist called Gallard, French, French oh, cool. artist, I believe. Also, yeah, it's uh, Sebastian Gurner, which is Shirtless Bear Fighter. Ah, uh, so, yes. Oh, yes. sweet. Yes. One that would have been in my favourites, but I had to cut it because I have other favourites. <laughs> but yeah, honourable mention to Shirtless Bear Fighter there for being one of the greatest things I read last year. But unfortunately, I made this list and I didn't put it on that list and probably should have. But, you know, list list can only be so long. Time constraints and whatever else. Um, next one um, that I wanted to mention that this one was like, this one was big for me last year because this this was just it was so different and i just thought it was so cool and so rad when i read it curse words oh yeah curse words favorite of this yeah. very good recommendation there yes tis a tis a, a an ace comicals favorite tis curse words uh it's something that like i think all three of us thoroughly enjoyed last year it's got nice bright bold colors really interesting panel layouts um a really like diverse and beautiful cast of characters like everyone like all these different types of magic and power and it's just it's so surreal in places and the way that they illustrate the magic the way the magic is illustrated in these books and i'm just flicking right now through the uh, holiday special while i'm talking about it here um and it's it's a beautiful beautiful book uh it's so colorful and so this is a running theme with me by the way big bright and colorful <laughs> yeah i have to agree there like spoilers for my list but this is uh one that's also in mine um and i echo everything that um greg has said about it uh, i think that uh charles um ryan brown and jordan boyd uh, as a team they just bring like this uh like kinetic energy and vibrancy to the book and it handles a lot of things that seemingly could fall flat um and i've seen fall flat in other other comics but like i was saying it's kinetic it's funny it's absurd it's over the top um but like the world building is really uh exciting yeah. and i think um there's a good economy of uh, sort of time spent in the world but how much you sort of be uh, get absorbed into it and I, I really enjoy that I mean yeah uh, I think I said in an earlier earlier episode when we were talking about it how it is it just feels like 
just the color palette and the general sort of uh, look of the art it is like the sort of proto sort of uh <laughs> stereotypical image comics like when i think mm. image comics in my head something that looks like curse words appears in there yeah, so I, yeah. I love it it's got it's yeah, definitely 100%. got it's definitely got that image look about it and um like you say about the world building and stuff inside the book it's it's funny it's grand it's again it's another it's another one that takes like a kind of a fantasy edge but it's kind of like marrying fantasy and the real world together um and it does some really interesting things with that i think and and the way the way that people in the real world react to the use of magic is brilliant yeah it was a really really interesting call but i think i described the artwork in places as something that you might find on a heavy metal album cover at one point Mm. (laughs) because it's it's so it's got that kind of like um i mean i'm not talking about because you've got like the really sort of gortastic heavy metal art and things like that and i'm not all the really high fantasy stuff that's like conan the barbarian ishy type stuff but i'm not i'm not talking about that stuff i'm talking about like um thrash metal where it's like big bright and colorful and it just it looks like it it looks like it's to be printed on t-shirts and album sleeves it's great definitely and i'll I'll just add um i think that the for something so uh, like over the top and dealing with like magic and like powerful like magicians and monster type thing i think it handles like its internal themes um and its character-based themes really well and i think it it straddles those tones quite effectively yeah yeah definitely um the, the way the way the characters are written in this and the way that they come across and the way that they interact and everything else is uh it's great because it's like although they're from the fantasy realm that 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 you you actually get the impression that there's not that much difference between the two places and they're they're just they're still just people and although they're they're they you know they use magic and everything else they're as down to earth as anyone else at the same time like that everyone's got history and baggage yeah exactly yeah third one on my list was a book called god shaper which again is one that was like a favourite of the cast because I think everyone read this, didn't we? I only read issue one. In fact, this is one of my regrets, which we can sort of touch on later, but I, I've really been intending to read on this because of how much you guys are hyped it up. Yeah. See, I, I followed this start to finish. It's like a strange world, like an alternate version of 2017 where um, all technology has ceased to work, ceased working, but... Uh, it's like since the 1950s so things haven't really moved forward since the 1950s all technology is kind of just moot um and everybody has their own sort of personal god that does everything for them basically it's like your wallet it holds your money money is like belief in this so the more a god is believed in or prayed to the bigger the god gets the richer you are and when you spend money your god gets smaller god's can be anything from like uh like some gods have like cameras for faces and these people are like their job will be photographer and their god is their camera type thing and things like that is is kind of the way it works and how the economy works and everything hinges on these gods these individual gods that these people have um no one really knows like why this happened or where this all came from um it's uh so the the creative team behind this is a, a chap called Simon Sperrier and uh, artist Jonas Goonface. Um, now, he like that the, the way the art is in this book again 
is it's it's like it's something to behold. It's something completely different. It's um, you can probably just hear me peeling open the bag and board because <laughs> I'm just I'm just pulling the book out now. Um, <laughs> it's it's really colourful. I love the designs of the characters and the gods, especially like some of these like wild god designs and um the the characters it's like got a cartoon edge to it but it's not too cartoony it's still like um still quite detailed and quite i don't know uh i don't want to say realistic because that's just complete opposite to what i've just said um but it's um this is the the themes running through it as well are handled really well um themes of um like uh people being cast out because like if you haven't got a god if you were born without a god then you're you're an outcast of society no one wants to know you because you don't have a god um people born without gods though are also very useful to society because they are what is known as shapers because they can change your god's form to serve another purpose so say your god is a camera as i described before a shaper can change that god so it becomes a television instead and can show signals instead of just taking photos um and as you know like because you because you haven't got a god you can't have money and things like that you're just you know you have to just live off whatever you can and so you travel from town to town shaping gods for people in return you get paid in kind you get paid in booze or clothes or whatever else and it's so so these people are cast out by society and no one wants to know them but at the same time they're like a really integral part and everyone needs them otherwise society doesn't function because you need you need people to sort of change the purpose of your god in order to be able to do different things and to be able to survive basically and i just you know start to finish i just absolutely loved this book and there's this whole like punk rock thing going on through it as well this like movement of like because music is again people use gods to make music in in this world and um there's this whole sort of musical movement going on where people make music without gods and it's um yeah it's like it's like a like a kind of a punk rock movement that again people people hate or people are wary of because this is the everyone's opinions is still very much entrenched in the 1950s as far as like opinion and as far as like social um how do i say it social uh oh what would be the word social standing social rights that's um... it yeah yeah that kind of thing uh, I, I, there was like a, a phrase I was looking for that encompasses all of it, but I couldn't think of it. Um, yeah, and this uh, this musical movement is called Cantic, and it's cool, and it's hardcore, and it's like it, it's like really raw and like it's a movement. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I love it. No, I love God Shaper definitely. That was definitely one of my favorites from last year. And yeah, well, I, if I, I can just... chime in before you go, Leon, because I get the feeling you're going to be very positive on this, and I just want to express that the reason that I didn't get into this is criminal. I know this going up front, but I I was attracted to this comic because issue number one has this like gorgeous black and white um, pencil shaded art where it's got a guy sat down playing guitar while this you know really cute little white blobby ghost stares up at him, and then when I opened up the book and all the artworks a little bit like grotesque and kind of like it's all very polygon uh how do i say this like there's no straight lines or anything and it's all kind of scattered around and it just didn't gel with me and i kind of want 
you guys to sell me on it because I know that I should get into this, but I was just put off immediately by the the style inside the book. So, do you guys have any opinions on that? So, I I really like the style. I mean, I know that it's it's there's no straight lines, and I know that it's fairly kind of like uh, when you say grotesque, are you talking about the way faces are? Yeah, 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 the faces yeah. and like the fashions and like it's not as moody as the the black and white cover suggested, I think. And I was just initially put off by that, and I'm definitely going to give it a second chance. But... I think I think you might have um, a variant cover for it. You might have one. A... Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got the original yellow uh, yellow yeah. vibe cover, yeah. which I also really like. But just this black and white one, I was that's what I was expecting when I went into it. Yeah. No, I I I like the art style because I like that it's. Um because uh, it's although there's no straight lines i like that it, it's clean lines it's uh it's very sort of definite and very clean and and like colorful and even though even though like yes it's it's the, the you you might not like the face and things but i i quite like the face i quite like how expressionistic it is mm. like how how um yeah it's it's very expressionistic actually and and mm. it's got like that that kind of like surreal edge to it which is what i quite like that's why I like the characters. I love the character designs in it. I love the okay, way it's drawn. Cool. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, I'm sorry I butted in, Leon. What did you have to say about it? Oh, I was just gonna just add a few things and uh, build on a few things that uh, Greg was saying because, uh, uh, like with uh, Curse Words, this is another one which is also on my list. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll quickly to touch on what you were saying. Um, yeah, that that's. That disconnect is def- is something that we brought up before on an earlier uh, episode, and yeah. it's definitely one which I do think about, and it affects me. Like, especially with uh, being in an age with like so many different types of uh, variant covers, um, I just always wonder, like, the efficiency or effectiveness of that because. Usually, like alternative art is something that you'd like to see afterwards. Mm. And you're like, oh, that's a cool take on what the art is. But generally, I, I sometimes just find the disconnect of what is on the front cover to what is in the pages to like almost betray what the actual comic is about. I don't know why it's done. You get guests in, and and it it it, it gives you um, like high visibility and it's if you get like a a a well-known artist on there as well it's cool to see their style of the thing but it's one of those things where i want to see it after um yeah at least the initial Mm. uh like when i know what the actual when i know what the texture and uh tone of the actual comic world is um then i want to see like stylistic versions of it but not before like i don't want to see this cool moody thing and then go into something where the tone is actually uh more jovial or more um uh like uh, action action packed or something yeah so like it, that is something that i think about a lot and mm. i know it's not always possible and i know why they do it but it's one of those things where it would be nice uh to have artists do the covers and i know a lot do and i love when they do I always feel that feels like more of a reflection than when they have guest artists in there. But I mean, that's the thing that we've, we'll surely have more to talk about in future. But um, yeah, talking about the, the comment, I won't go into too much. There's just a few things I want to uh, like 
uh, cosine uh, Gregon. And yeah, I, I really like that the world is this cool sort of original feeling world of magic. It's it, by bringing it into this sort of uh, world where like mid mid last century things have just stopped. So you have this sort of agrarian ruralness um, and like slow, slow travel between towns and like coming and going and this sort of punk movement, the, the Cantic, like it has this, this like very, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't feel like a combination of things that you see often, um, often. And that's what I quite enjoy about it. And like, as Greg was saying, it's like super colorful and I find it like imaginative. And I um, like the art in the panels, I find to be very stylized in, in, a, in a cool way. And it's like you're saying with the sort of the grotesqueness and the, like, the faces. I, I, I love how sort of cartoony that is in the way of sort of imbuing personality into someone's design. Yes. Um, and I think uh, it's a thing that works in some places, like in some comics, and work, doesn't work in others. And I think for this, it really suits the story being told. Mm. So you're you're That's better. I, mm. Sorry, I was going to interrupt you there, but you, you're better at words than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so this is like but all the like, things that I've just tried to say. <laughs> but like, it's, it's true. Like, it's something that for me, and for what it sounds like for you, is something that really connects. And like you're saying about the themes, I think they um, they handle the themes of like isolation and discrimination really well. Where you have this uh, this sort of lower class of people who have um a service which is necessary for the world and it just reminds me of like sort of lower paid immigrant workers in like western countries who everyone tells them like go home and get out but the mm. world wouldn't function without their like low paid services yeah so i think i think that's a really um interesting uh, lens that they're putting on there um all these people who live on the fringe uh, on the fringes and who are sort of uh, mistreated by the structures of like class and like capitalism so i, yeah. I think it's it's doing a lot of interesting things and it, it was interesting it came out this year where we had the uh brian fuller and michael green uh live action adaptation of neil uh, neil gaiman's um, american gods but, yeah yeah um where where we're talking about sort of the the currency of belief that's something which is hit on a lot in the book and a lot in the show and i think that um while in american gods the gods are more sort of like uh iconic uh type celebrity type characters in, in this the the gods are just servants to a degree um they're like um sidekicks in a way who have a function but can also be a nuisance i mean in ways they're like pokemon and um well, like like pets yeah and yeah. and they like if they wanted they pretty much could like lay devastation really but they everyone has their place in a particular way um and yeah i just think it handles all of those things really well and it was something where it had this sort of moody feel that and i like, took me to like an interesting place reading it each time so that, that's why it's on my list yeah definitely um yeah everything that you just said because <laughs> i i things that i've tried to articulate but failed at but yeah definitely and when we, we've definitely we spoke about it before on the podcast so maybe go back and check out a previous episode as well where we talk about it in depth um on my list fourth fourthly fourth thing on my list um 
I'm not sure if this is cheating because it came out like right at the tail end of 2017. Um, and it's the one of the things that I tried to avoid putting on my list because it was a superhero book, but I couldn't not talk about it because I thought it was a really cool take. Uh, is X-Men Grand Design. Now, this is... Um, there's this fella called Ed Piscott who has... Uh, what he's done is he's... He's taken every single, like, uh, pivotal event from the X-Men timeline. He's taken... Um, basically, he's taken the entire X-Men timeline. And what he's managed to do is he's managed to condense it down uh, into several issues. Where it is described and put forward in a clear, concise way. And the way that he's done it, the way that he's framed it all is excellent. Um, I, I love the idea behind it, the way that it's all framed and the way that it is, it is like, uh, the way that, it, that the information is put forward. Because, I mean, this is all things that people have possibly read before or people already knew. But I just I just enjoy, you know, going back through it and, and maybe, you know, if there's going to be... Th obviously, you're going to learn something reading it as well because not every... And I'm sure there's there's nobody out there that's read every single X-Men comic. I mean, there, there might be, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge task. Uh, and this is this is like a great way to introduce new fans to X-Men as well because it takes it right back to the start and gives you everything. Um, and it's it's done in a very Marvel way and I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things we talked about in our very, very first episode, episode number one, we talk about how to get into comics is how much anxiety there is about catching up with the history of comic runs from yes, yes. specifically Marvel and DC. Yeah. And for someone like me, who I got into comics relatively late, or at least the big two comics relatively late, like I got into Spider-Man and X-Men and everything, like in my 20s, um, despite having been um, like fans of fans of these characters from the cartoons for example and having caught a couple of issues of the comics here and there and like enjoying the movies and whatnot but i never really knew where to begin with any of these things and the reason i love this particular comic is it it takes the anxiety away um I, I mean i love these kind of primers in general which help uh not just new readers but like established readers like you said there's there's somebody out there who's read every single x-men comic but how do you piece together such a convoluted timeline and i like that this kind of thing which um is like a comp comprehensive uh compilation of all the most significant parts of the history which have you know such um interesting and you like inspirational ties to real life history and where they draw their inspiration from. Um, and I like that this collects it all in a way which has its own worth more yeah. than just being a primer in and of itself. Like instead of it just being an encyclopedia of the history, it has its own narrative as yes. well. And uh, to, just to interrupt, yeah, just to add something very mm. brief. It's not just a history of the X-Men, it's a history of mutants within the Marvel Universe. Yes, yeah. And I think I think it's very good at what it does and... As as you say, to take to take away um, the anxiety of, of like new readers coming and wanting to wanting to get into X Men and wanting to know what X Men's about, this is something that you should point people towards. It's like okay, so because getting into X Men now, if you were to pick up a, a random X Men comic off the shelf in a comic store, so much has happened that you would just be you're just thrown into the middle of it. Basically, no matter how the writer tries to frame it, 
or, or how the writer tries to um to to introduce you to the world when you open that x-men comic you are in the middle of it because there's been so much has happened there's nowhere to be but the middle of it so this is mm. a great way to kind of like uh consolidate knowledge and put it forward so that people can read it and go okay so this is what's going on and this is what the x-men are about and then you can probably start reading other x-men comics off the back of that and, and know also a way as well to introduce because it it, it goes through everything and, and maybe if there's storylines you've missed and things like that and you wanted to read them, then, you know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've never read about that. Maybe I should read deeper into that. So this is like, a, 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 it's like a, a, a kind of like a, um, imagine imagine getting on a train and taking a train ride and being able to look out of the window and then deciding you want to get off at a certain station <laughs> and explore that town and then come back to the train and get back on the train again. That's a fantastic analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's exactly how I felt reading this. I mean, yeah. one of the other things I love about it is that it recontextualizes the weight of the stories. So, for example, if you, I went back and read um, Days of Future Past after having seen the movie, and as we all know, like it's a very different story, and it's also very short, and it's hard to understand why it was so significant. I, that's that's a bit glib. It's it, it may be hard to understand how that story was so significant when you when you first get introduced to it through the context of this really big epic movie. Yeah. And I like that this gives you, it gives you the weight of everything in order and how it was appropriate for the time and that it was designed in and, you know, was absorbed in. And I love that about it. And um, if, if I can move on to how I felt about the artwork, unless you have anything to add to the, like to the framework of this. No, no, no. It's, I'm I'm done with that part. You can we can move on to artwork now because I was gonna I was about to chime in and talk about artwork anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, have, I have very brief things to say about this because again, I I haven't read a lot of the like quote unquote old style Marvel stuff, and I love that this harkens back to like the '70s style where it's printed with like a I don't know what it would be called like a like a dot matrix type printer on like this acidic matted paper, and it looks old, it looks weathered, and it kind of legitimizes the content because it's it's trying to be a retrospective. It's almost like it's a documentary because it has the same vibe as the time that it's coming from. The only thing I find about that is in another 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to be really confusing to isolate this work from all the other work that it's trying to pull together from. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, no, I think I don't think that will be an issue. Um, I think looking at it, because it, it what they've done is they've they've intentionally gone for this aesthetic to make it look old and weathered mm. and to make it look like the old 1960s 1970s marvel stuff where it, and they've made what what they've tried to do is they've made tried to make it look like it was published back then and yeah. you've just stumbled across it so all the pages are yellowed all the you know and even even the way that ed pisker has drawn it all like even even his his art style the way that he's put the mm. art down on the page is reminiscent of the old 60s and 70s stuff you know i i Mm. I mean i personally myself i really like old marvel comics i like i like looking at the old artwork i like the old dc comics as well from around that sort of time i like seeing that artwork and then seeing how it's evolved from then to now as well obviously with the introduction of new techniques and things like that but i love I love the way things were back then, the way things used to be printed. It's just, it's so Mm. simple and so effective at the same time. It's like the true kind of like raw, um, primordial (laughs) style of comics and where modern comics came from, basically. 
because it's so how simple you, how yeah. it had to be creative with the limitations of the tech at the yeah, time because they, they would yeah. only have been able to use so many colors they would only have been able to mm. you know and it's just it's so um it's so simple but so effective and i love it it's almost like constrained writing where they've, yeah. they've set themselves a limit on how how far they can push what they're they're capable of printing. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I love the style. I just think it's funny thinking about it in another fifty years' time about how it's going to get lost in what the I, sea of all of the comics. But yeah, what I love about it is that they can emulate it so accurately. Yeah, yeah. these day, these days you can you can um, that that you can take that aesthetic and that what what was like back then the standard has now become a specific aesthetic that people can take and apply these days as like a, a style, you know. And I think that's you, quite interesting. As Greg, as somebody who has experienced a lot of these old 60s and 70s comics, um, do you find there's a disconnect between this and the old stuff in the way that you would get with, say, a film that was genuinely filmed in the 60s or 70s and a period piece that's trying to emulate the style? So, like, the thing I kept thinking of was, um, what's that David Fincher film? Zodiac. Yeah. And yeah. how it has this, it, it has this aesthetic that, that really fits the tone of what it's trying to achieve, but it's clearly yeah. an emulation. Like, do you get that sense or would this get, if you put pages of this in the middle of something that was genuinely from the sixties, would you be able to tell the difference? Oh, you'd definitely be able to tell the difference. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's an emulation of, and you know, it's an emulation of, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. like you could, it's not like you could, you could like, um, you could shove this at the back of a, um, an annual from 1967 or something and people would know because it wouldn't it wouldn't uh hmm. but it's um you can you can tell the difference and you can because even though it's made in the style of it still carries a modern edge to it hmm. when i when i look at it and when i look back at things from that time this is just my opinion obviously but i, I think it's you you'd definitely be able to tell the difference this is why i was saying before when you're saying it's going to be confusing I think mm. people will instantly be able to see the difference, especially okay. like when you look at the cover as well. Um, yeah, the cover's gorgeous. Yeah, I love the cover in this. Yeah, yeah, but the cover is very much a, it's very much telling you like a nod and a wink to, like you know this is this is, it's very much a nod and a wink to this is modern, but but we're making it not look modern type thing. It's mm. like it's like it knows it's self aware in that way. Mm. I think I'm definitely gonna give this a go. It's it looks and sounds really interesting. It is, and yeah, there's, there's, awesome. uh, as of this week, there's two of them. So I mean, we're we're recording this, uh, and the last NCBD was the third Wednesday, the third of January. So third of January was when the second one came out. Hmm. So there's two on. The I show. believe there's there's six in total. So you said there's going to be six issues, three trade collections. Um, yeah. with Ed Pisker saying that it's basically his way to make the first 280 issues of Uncanny X-Men into a lean 300-page story. Um, and to quote him, after some deliberation, Marvel said, do it in 240 pages across six issues, three trade collections, and then sent him a contract. But aside from the concession of these extra 60 pages, Grand Design is a completely faithful vision of what I want to do. Yes. So, so I, yeah. I think I think that it's... Um... It's going to be obviously it's going to be like two two comics per trade, but these these are oversized comics. They're not mm. they're not uh, regular sized comics anyway. And I think it's it's going to be one for the ages. It's going to be one of those things where it it'll be on your shelf in ten twenty years time next to Batman Year One. I truly believe that. Bold. Yeah, I think I, this is. I I do believe that. I honestly believe that because it, it's it's um. 
it's so it, it's a it, how like when when something can stand on its own and it's something that maybe critics and people will buy because it stands on its own and it gives you like a brief rundown of a certain character type thing you know and it's not something where you need to have read X-Men before to get it because it is the history of X-Men. Yeah, I'd get in on the action. I agree with you. Yeah, because you don't have to have read Batman, for example, to read Batman Year One because Batman Year One is kind of like a take on the beginning of Batman and it's something that critics have on their shelf and it's one of those things that gets labelled more as a graphic novel than a comic, even though they're essentially the same thing. But yeah, that's 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 where I think it will be in 10, 20 years' time. I think it will be one of those. Um, moving on from there is a book that was published by Image, which appealed to me on... Because uh, uh, last year was a great year for horror books, basically. There's a lot of horror books that I read. Um, and this appealed to me because it was kind of like a fresh take on the whole vampire thing. Um, and this is a book called Redneck. Um, this is one of my current favourite writers, actually. This is Donny Cates. Um, and if you've followed um, any of our shows this year, if you've if you've like listened to any of our previous stuff, then uh, you'll know that I quite like Donny Cates. Now, Redneck is um, it's vampires in the. Um, it's in Texas, basically. Uh, they've been around for hundreds of years and they're just trying to lie low stay out of the way not you know not get caught up in trouble and things like that they're done you know because people hunt them because they're vampires people are hunting them down people want rid of them there's like they've got like a family feud going on with a really religious family so this is like something that goes back generations as well you've got this family of like uh religious people like priests and stuff and they've got a feud going on with this family of vampires and from the outside when you read the comic it just looks like a normal kind of generations long family feud that you might read about in a book or something like that where you've got these two rival families and oh you know we don't speak to each other because one time this happened and blah 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 but there's something more to it there's that edge to it because you've got vampires versus priests type thing um and they're living down in Texas trying to lie low. Um, they don't kill people anymore. They make a beer from uh, cow blood and they drink that. Uh, <laughs> they run a barbecue shop. So what happens is when they kill the cows, they um, they sell the meat for barbecue and uh, they uh, they drink the blood. And they've got like the, they've got their two human servants, kind of, I think, running the barbecue shop for them. And it's just it's just a really cool book. And obviously, you know, things don't stay quiet stuff kicks off one drunken um one drunken night before christmas um i think it's actually christmas eve uh some of the younger vampires decide they're going to go into town for some fun and they hit up a strip club and they find the like a couple of the religious guys there and a fight breaks out it's like a like one drink fueled brawl ruins it all and they have to go on the run again and it it goes to some really interesting places. And right now it's in a really interesting place, actually, because we're into the second arc and there's some really cool things happening. And I can't reveal a word of what's going on without spoiling the entire first arc. So mm. you really need to read it. Um, the artwork is... Um, it tends to, What they tend to do with the artwork in this is they have like a, a theme throughout... The, a palette theme throughout the whole book. So it, it, the start... Like... Um, the first issue was blues and reds 
So most of it was at night, but it was all in blues and reds. Like this, it's all in tones of blue and red. Um, the uh, what we're looking at now is we're getting like greens and yellows in some of the current issues and things like that. And it's um, it's a really a really nice way to do it, and I really like the way it's put together. And I love I love the character designs. I love the um, the overall aesthetic and the overall feel of it. Um. I like this uh this this sort of fresh take on the vampire thing rather than it being a um just sort of standard vampire stories where vampires are predators it's the other way round where the vampires aren't the predators and they're just trying to hide away and just keep themselves to themselves but stuff keeps happening and they can't do that and they've then just they're not allowed to just live they can't just live and they it's quite heartbreaking in places because they really do want to be part of you know society and they just want to be like normal people like um one of the characters he just he he makes them live by rule like rules that he's like the kind of like the patriarch and he's making his his family these this group of guys live by rules that ordinary god-fearing people should live by you know uh but but that's not this is like going against the vampire code type thing and you've got this dude's father who is like maybe hundred thousands years old, and he's a he's like a really powerful vampire, but he's so old and you know so decrepit and whatever because he's he's like a bit of a he's got a bit of a like Nosferatu look about him. He looks more like a vampire than the others do with the kind of uh, the the red eyes and the the battish kind of features and whatever. Um, and he's like constantly trying to to you know he he wants them to be proper vampires and he wants them to um kill people and drink blood and be feared and whatever else but this 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 other guy want he you know he's like just want to be people kind of thing you know and it's it's great it's that dynamic is fantastic and I, I like this whole sort of like going against the mold type thing that it has no i really enjoyed this book yeah, it sounds like it's um, trying to do some interesting things with such like a, a well-worn um, uh, like genre, um, and it, it also sounds from how you've spoken about it on on this and previous episodes, like one of the more likely comics that's <laughs> we'll see adapted into like an FX show or something. Yeah, it's it's definitely got that ring about it. It's like you can. When you when you read it, you can sort of feel the uh, the gaze of the network over <laughs> your shoulder, like the eye of Sauron type thing. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So it's it's something it's something that I I believe could or would be in line for a TV adaption. It's it's definitely got that that mark about it. Definitely. Um. Next on my list is another one of the horror comics that I enjoyed last year, which is the Gravediggers Union, which is like the tail end of last year. But so I think this was uh, this was a November book. Was it November or was it October? I can't remember when the first issue was. It was one of those. It was either November or October because it was tail end of last year. And uh, it was one that I I kind of learned about it quite sort of as, just basically as it hit the shelf kind of thing. Um, it was something I'd seen murmur about it and whatever else. And then, uh, I, I, it was on the shelf and I just thought, you know what? I'll give it a try. I'll give it a go. And wow, was I not disappointed. This is, this is a, a, again, one that's on my list for being interesting and fresh in the way that it uses certain themes. So 
what you've got is you've got this kind of like um lovecraftian opening to the first book which when was when i spoke about it before i've mentioned and then what this book does that's interesting is it takes supernatural threat and turns it into natural disaster and uses this whole um kind of throws this whole supernatural um filter over climate change so what you've got is instead of hurricanes and earthquakes and things battering the world and and people suffering because of that it's a hurricane of ghosts or um you know that that kind of stuff and when the way they talk about it in the news you've got like you know how you have your climate change deniers and things like that you've got like your um your supernatural denier type people where they're like oh you know this is just something else or whatever and they're you know trying to dismiss it and saying that it's but it's like um, the supernatural forces of Earth are like, um, obviously, it's something that people live with every day. But then obviously, there's like these out of place weather pattern type things that are causing trouble and causing disaster. And you've got this group of um, what the book calls great, the, the grave diggers union, they are called. They are grave diggers. And it's their job to to put down these supernatural disasters and to keep people safe. And they're not like uh, uniform wearing superheroes or anything. They're just ordinary dudes in like, working duds you know with with shovels and stuff <laughs> and like you you've got them like fighting zombies and and uh once the zombie's been beaten they bury it again kind of thing in the ground and this is their job to keep people down you know uh, keep to keep the the supernatural threat down and it's just getting harder and harder for them and they're not getting the funding they need um and something bad's happening it's like that towards getting towards the end of the world type thing you know, they know something bad's on the horizon because they're seeing all the signs because it's their job. And it's about how they deal with that. Um, and I, I just thought this book was, like, insanely cool. The story is uh, Wes Craig. And uh, the artist, main artist on the book is Toby Cypress, who is um, the artist from a, another book from last year, which was one that I sort of like turned around on because I think I remember talking about it before and saying I didn't quite get it and then all of a sudden it all clicked into place and I was like, oh yeah. Um, and that was um, Retcon. So Toby Cypress is your artist from Retcon. And uh, I really like his art. I like how he draws monsters. I like how... Because uh, in Retcon is another one that's very supernatural themes and um, the way that he draws the beasts and creatures in Retcon, it just looks very... Um, oh, how do I get that across? <laughs> I can see it in my mind's eye and I haven't got the word for it. But yeah, he's he's very good at it. He's very good at grotesque art. And is his the edge of expressionism and surrealism, because it's the more expressionistic, surrealistic side of comics art as well that he brings to it, where things are slightly warped and, and off kill um faces are, are kind of warped and everything's kind of like uh, you know what it is but it's it doesn't look exactly as it should type thing and the lines are quite loose and everything else and I just love it. I do love it. Sounds good. It's very good. Very good book. Um, last on my list is um, a book that I spoke about previously. So I'm just going to... I've spoke about it a lot on the podcast. So I'm just going to... Uh, yeah, I would have been surprised if yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, Namwolf. Namwolf had to be on the list. Um, it's a, a grindhousey Vietnam story about a werewolf who... Um, he doesn't know he's a werewolf and he's he, he goes off to fight in the Vietnam War because he's drafted and uh, on his way over there his dad kind of leaves him a letter gives him a letter on his way out 
and the letter sort of explains to him that you're actually coming from a family of worm werewolves and uh you're actually a werewolf and this is like a, a the, the, the past this is like the um the coming of age type thing that all werewolves do because each of us you know like i've been to war your dad's been to war and all this your, your granddad's been to war and everything else and when we go to war is when we find out we're a werewolf type thing so this is how it goes in our family and while he's out there it's like really groundhousey really fun action-packed um the opposing sides have their own monsters as well and it turns into like a monster movie battle type thing and it's great i love it i love the artwork i love the writing it's uh, written by fabian rangel jr and uh the art is by a logan farmer and uh, as i've spoken about it before uh, it's a really great little book and that is published by albatross um and it's out in trade now so if you want to pick up the trade pick up the trade um so i guess that's my list over with and i think i've talked long enough <laughs> it's been a good year it has been a very good year so uh yeah leon what was on your list yeah i'll just uh run down mine uh quickly i mean uh we've, all, we've previously spoken about um boom comic uh, god shaper um i really enjoyed that definitely read it people um we've already spoken about image comics curse words um again go out there and read it people um so i'll i'll start off with um victor laval's um destroyer which is boom comics as well um and it's funny because i hadn't really before last year i hadn't really listened uh listen read um any boom comics so uh, i found it interesting that they uh, hit me with the one-two punch but um yeah uh Destroyer by uh, Victor Laval, um, well, uh, written by Victor Laval, art done by Dietrich Smith, and colours by Joanna Lafuente, is um, a fresh take on a very well-tread concept, and that seems to be the theme of a lot of um, our sort of favourites of last year so far, like um, fresh takes on uh, on. Uh, certain uh, tropes that may have been running to the ground um and with this book the 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 basic setup for it is um a uh, a scientist um is basically trying to resurrect her son who was uh, killed by the uh police a a few years prior and it's really effective. I mean, there's a big sort of conspiracy for the people she used to work for, and they're like hunted. But at the same time, uh, uh, also she is a descendant of uh, Doctor Frankenstein. At the same time, uh, that same Doctor Frankenstein's monster uh, walks the earth like Cain, um, and so you have these two sort of threads of story, which uh, you you have a feeling uh, are aim to cross paths at some point during the story and um yeah i think i think it's really effective at like grappling with like pain anger and hate um and also um how these things can be transformed into obsession and dedication and you get that a lot in the relationship between uh the lead character and um and her son and i think it 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 touches on a, a, a lot of interesting topics, like the devastation of uh, losing a uh, losing a child, but also uh, it, it, 
it like shines a light or more shows the experience of uh, the reality of what it's like being like uh, a black a black woman in America uh, and having a, having a black son whose safety you can't guarantee, but also the the invisibility of being like a woman of color in in, in a STEM industry, um, and uh, yeah, and and also being a woman in that industry as well. And I think it touches on a lot of those things, like really interesting, while being like a really um, effective uh, horror book um you have this like foreboding ever foreboding presence of the monster out there uh, i mean the first time you see him on the first page he's sat on uh sat on a throne of ice in antarctica um and the way that escalates you have this sort of overarching uh larger than life story um like uh, connecting with this more sort of internal sci-fi story, um, and, and I think I think they handle a lot of this uh, stuff quite deftly. Um, it never really feels there's a lot of like topics in there, uh, like social issues with cap- capital S, but it doesn't feel preachy at all. And instead, it it feels like uh, just. Um, experience and experience that you're not often you don't often see uh or myself i've not often seen uh like displayed in comic books mostly in sort of regular literature literature so i think it it does that effectively um and being um a six issue uh the i feel like the the arcs and the story structure and pacing are handled quite well and things that you might be dizzied on earlier on in like issues one and two uh, sort of paid off in later issues um but not in a, a sort of neat uh like bow so I, I quite quite enjoyed that and i thought it was um an interesting uh vehicle to explore a lot of the things um that it does um i mean there's a lot of cool things done with like wordlessness and flashback and the way how you have like the monster and without going into any super details uh you have this sort of theme of like clumsily trying to like help and intervene but uh but le- but actions leading to more pain uh <laughs> And it's 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 really dark in in some of those senses, um, and the art uses this cool sort of modern sort of computer design style. So like effects are like these uh, borderless, outlineless, cool sort of computer graphics that I think melds well with the um, the style of the of the characters and the uh, locations. So. Um, yeah, this is one I, I would I would definitely recommend. It's different and it's it's not too too long of a read. The, did um, any of you guys give that a read? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I read I read it start to finish. Um, the it's like a it's like a direct sequel to the original uh, Frankenstein story. Mm. Um, I think is what is what it's supposed to be. And uh, like you say, I love the way that it deals with um, like very modern themes and everything else, and and manages to tie it back to the the main themes of the Frankenstein tale, which is loss, anger, uh, hatred, you know, because uh, that the, the original Frankenstein story comes from a very sort of 
it comes from losing a child effectively uh if you read the, the history of how it was written and everything else but um it's um yeah no it's, it was it was a it was a great story a great story and yeah i like like the fact that the uh the main sort of villain in the book is a direct descendant of victor frankenstein and yeah nice no, it's great yeah, I think the way that you put it as it being a vehicle for these social issues with a capital S, I think that's what appealed to me the most about it. And um, I, I actually want to give this a second read just to absorb it all again, I think. Yeah, no, it, uh, it's it's one of those things where I've read it in parts, but I will have to get all six issues out and go start to finish all at mm. once like a trade, definitely. Yeah, I feel that it reads better that way because initially, like issue to issue, I was mentioning uh, issues one and two, I was like, the way it was passing out details, I was like, ah, like this is cool, but it's too a bit too dizzying, and it's only six issues. Mm. But on, on rereading them uh, as a bunch together, it does tie in uh, more satisfying. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So after that, uh, the next one on my list is uh, Black Bolt, uh, written by uh, Saladin uh, Ahmed and art done by Christian Ward. And I spoke about this not too long ago uh, in in a previous episode, as I've been meaning to pick it up uh, since it came out um, and only got onto it recently. But um, this has been really interesting um, and sort of power-packed debut uh, for uh, Ahmed, who's his uh, first time writing comics. And I I think it, it, it does a really cool thing where you have this, uh, overpowered character who is stripped of that power and um, is forced to deal um, is put is put in an, a horrible basically put in hell and is has to uh, sort of work their way out out of it um, and like Ward's sort of claustrophobic and like high striking like patches of like shadow and darkness really work well to sell the hopelessness um in the world and just in those early issues is horrible like cycle of 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 torture and mind games and being allowed to get a certain being allowed to go so far before you're reset and started again um not being able to to save things that you're trying to save uh like shackled in this um in this prison um like erroneously um and the the frustration uh with not being able to to right this wrong uh it, i think it's done really well i've never really like, like i was saying on the previous episode I've never really digged into any inhumans uh stuff so i'm not sure how this uh tracks with the previous but from my sort of outside looking in, it does feel like a uh, bold um, and uh, fresher take for for this character. Um, and there are themes in this which uh, follow with the next book, which I'll mention shortly. But I, I think it, it's really good at being internal without feeling small. And um, I feel like mood and tone are conveyed really well with the words but also really well with just the art um and 
like the panel structure really uh, feels like it follows like filmmaking laws uh, or should I say like um, uh, filmmaking tools in terms of how to convey emotion and uh, how a character is feeling by how they're how they're framed in the shot and um, how they're blocked and I think it does all of that really well and I'm interested uh, in following uh, where it goes mm. definitely one for one that I should pick up I think because I've heard some really good things about it yeah I, I think I think you'd find it find it uh, uh, interesting mm. definitely definitely uh, are we at the end of your list Leon <laughs> Well, I've got I've got my final one, and I, yeah. I left I left it because while my list isn't isn't numbered and it's just like a just a collection of uh, new comics that I um, that spoke to me in some sort of way and stuck with me after after closing the books and like last year was quite interesting for me because uh, in 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 service of doing the podcast it's the first time in a long time that i've really been up to date with any comics i'm usually um a trade only reader and like many years after the fact um especially now like it's been a long time maybe when i was in my teens or something or early 20s where i kept up with anything that was uh, remotely modern you can't or say in the zeitgeist at the time <clears throat> sorry you, you can't say you're a trade reader anymore <laughs> uh, now, 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 dab. I'll go both ways. But yeah, um, yeah with, with having that, um, one of oh, one of the things that uh, has been the best, uh, like, find from not doing that, and it's nice to be in the zeitgeist and nice to be reading it issue by issue. And while the rest aren't numbered, this is actually my number one, my favorite of of last year. It has to be Tom King and Mitch Gerard's Mr. Miracle. Yes. Uh, mm. This book is obscenely good. Um, and I know there's a lot of hype about it. And if you listen to this and you you pay attention to any of like sort of the general uh, comic zeitgeist, I mean, lots of standard uh, non-comic websites um, who have like a, a section of reviewed and given this a, a lot of plaudits and stuff and it's like it's easy to be deterred by the hype of uh, stuff like this but i think it has really high aspirations and i think it's reaching them um uh, as a book that's uh, like gonna be like a 12 12 issue sort of maxi series um like i i, I think this time ne- uh, next year we'll be discussing if it has become like a modern book that joins the pantheon of some of like my favorite books of the past which had um similar structures but yeah i mean we've, we've spoken about this book multiple times on the podcast so i won't go into too many details um Sorry. about that uh, i would just like on the overview it's about uh, the uh, new gods uh, particularly um scott free um and and his wife Big Barda, and it's uh, set at a time on the the cusp of like massive conflict between uh, the the fourth world planets uh, apocalypse and New Genesis, and it basically it straddles the line between being this war story, but the greater focus is on 
Scott Free's mind and him sort of losing grasp and control of what is going on. Um, and if I was talking about uh, Black Bolt being uh, interior but not small, uh, Mr. Miracle uh, runs with that. Uh, it's from the very first pages of like issue one, it just pulls you into this world where it has this dizzying effect where you're not 100% sure what is actually really taking place. You're not 100% sure what is in Scott's head on what is happening, but it's not played in this, like just over, oh, it's surreal and it's crazy. And instead, everything really, the form really uh, functions uh the story it, it facilitates the story in in a, an interesting way in a sense that it doesn't feel like gimmicks when you see like static on the page it doesn't feel like gimmicks when you have a block panel or dark side is uh, instead it uses like repetition and uh like panel structure to reinf- re um reinforce all the all the concepts that it's trying to deal with um yeah. uh, like even just basic things like it's use of the the classic nine panel structure um like characters uh like the way it displays isolation by separating characters who are in the same room in the same space but not sharing panels uh you really have this feel of uh the level of depression um that is uh that scott is is going through and how he can't really engage properly because of this um and dealing with a character whose whole life was about escape and now there's not really much to escape Mm. but here he still has the uh the feeling of needing to escape it it handles that really well the use of color is amazing um like highlighting uh the sort of dichotomy between the superhero life, like the suit and booted and intergalactic, but also just the melancholy and sort of day in day outness of like life and uh, just like living a uh, living a life and having a job to do, uh, and then oh yeah, I've got to go back to war now and like it, it it all has this really just interesting tone where you it it feels dreamlike. But not in the negative connotations of what that you, uh, yeah you would give. You, you, sorry, I was going to interrupt you. That you feel like you're inside Scott's haze. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's really effective uh, doing that because uh, the words that King puts on screen uh, juxtaposed with the images that uh, Gerard has there and how they're degraded in some ways like on warped and Mm. a lot of times the feeling of a character is fully displayed just in like panels and wordless panels of them reacting yeah and just to just to interrupt again there are emotions in the book that are completely the wrong emotions for the moment like all the time it does this Mm. it does this kind of like miss emotional misstep thing where people are laughing about something they really shouldn't be laughing about yeah yeah and it's just yeah yeah it's it's just really good at doing that stuff and on rereading it uh rereading the issues that 
uh, came out last year. Um, there's a lot of things I've noticed on second reading, and it's got me asking a lot of questions about the nature of how this has taken place and where it's taken place. Um, and it's just its use of, use of like really uh, like dark humor in, in out of place ways and the way how certain characters um, feel like manifestations of, uh, of like the anti-life equation. I mean, the fact that it, it, it feels like it's using the anti-life equation as the, as this sort of, uh, engine for for the uh depression and how dark side is uh feels like uh more than just this foreboding warning of this bad guy who uh who uh, is like reigns over out out of the pages instead it feels like this like hopelessness and darkness that sort of consumes us and and is always waiting and it's there for you there for you when you have a bad day it's there for you when you're not feeling 100% and it it i think it it's doing a lot and i think it's doing all of it really well so um i mean i could i could talk for ages about it but this is one where i think people need to get on this train while it's still going definitely, and definitely i think when it's done uh it'd be good to have a like a spoiler laced um discussion of it in full yeah we should we Absolutely. definitely should <laughs> i mean but yeah that's my favorite yeah much like you leon i'd uh, i've got a list of things that spoke to me over the year but mr miracle is also my number one if i had to pick one thing that was my favorite and to like connect some of the dots that you just placed down i've I reread everything that we have of Mr. Miracle to date from this new run. And I was pondering, like you just said, it's it's getting a lot of buzz. And I was trying to think of why that is. And while I was rereading it, it gave me this sense of it's like accessible art house movies um, where there's enough fun for it not to be like eye rollingly um, pretentious. And it brought to mind David Lynch. Yes, and he has he has that kind of vibe where it's not not necessarily in the same tone, but he has or the, these creators they have an awareness of how best to use the medium, or they have an, an an education in the medium on how best to use it to make you feel uncomfortable. And I think this is a prime example of a mastery of the work um, of knowing just how to make you feel paranoid and how best to use every element available to you. Like you said, this really yeah. um, intricate and clever usage of. Uh, the nine panel structure and how you can make somebody feel discomfort by where you place the actors within it. Um, I just, I love it. I think it's like one of the most creative works I've read in the last year. Definitely on board with that. I mean, it wasn't on my list because I wanted, I've I've left it for you two to talk about, but it it was, it is, it is a really, really brilliant book. And it's definitely one of the best of last year. Um, The thing for me that, that like adds to the discomfort is like I said, like the misplaced emotion thing. Like, um, I guess that ties into some of the dark humor you guys mentioned as well. Are you both you're both completely up to date with it? Are you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a great moment that I want to talk about, but I don't think I should on the podcast. Can I? Like Leon said, we should have a yeah. spoiler. Yeah. We'll have a spoiler. We'll save at some it. Point we'll save specifically it. for. But there's yeah. a moment that really illustrates what I was talking about with like the whole laughing at things you shouldn't be laughing at type thing and uh yeah i, yeah. I, I know what you're <laughs> i think I know what yeah. You're yeah. yeah that's brilliant that's yeah. a brilliant moment yeah uh I, w- I would just i would just add i won't go into full detail on this but i think it's really well 
uh, done moment, which is uh, a perfect example of how uh, these guys are manipulating uh, genre and uh, playing the the medium like an instrument. Mm-hmm. Is there's a there's a series of pages where uh, one character is interrogating Scott, um, and Scott is only allowed to answer in true true or false. And having that structure where uh, one person can ask these questions and you can only answer true or false, it's so... Like, I felt like I was watching it and hearing people speak. It, hmm. It's so powerful and well done. And it, it breaks down a lot of issues and a lot of what's been going on with the character in these panels. And it's just quick fire. And uh, it, it's just... Like the use of repetition, but then the use of sort of like uh, time and uh, the the further on in panels we're getting, the different sort of expressions on characters' face. Well, the the, the structure is, is from panel to panel is remaining the same. Did you do X Y? Uh, do you believe X Y Z? True or false? True. And like the way that's done and the way it evolves and the way um, it climaxes is just beautiful and is is one of the one of my favorite series of like pages and panels this uh, last year. Yeah, no, I love that I love specific that scene. Sorry, if I can just add yeah. that specific scene while I was reading it brought to mind, like the kangaroo courts in some of Kafka's work. And if you're going to draw from any well to make you feel paranoid, it's Kafka. Like I, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Like also like um, that particular scene also reminded me of, um, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, The Master, um, uh-huh. the sequence of uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, where it's these quick fire, simple questions that sort of uh, sort of manipulate what the answer is going to be, yeah. um, and it's so effective how just the quick fire nature of that can bring out an intense uh, emotional reaction from that, and that's one of, that's one of my favorite scenes in that film, and like seeing it reflected here. Uh, in a different way it just shows how effective that that line of uh, questioning and framing can be mm. it's weird how we're all attracted to these these stories of being manipulated and powerless <laughs> i don't know what that says about us <laughs> sunday times man sunday yeah. times sunday <laughs> times man this is this is what this is this is the world we're living in right now i mean it, so moving on from there leon do you have anything else on your list or is like you said that's your punctuation for your for your year right yeah yeah that that's the the period point on 2017 and and it was it, it, it was it was good to make this uh this leap back into reading issues month by month yeah. and i've been rewarded kindly that was an exclamation mark not a period point <laughs> <laughs> well because i think if, if i can move on to my yeah, list then go for um, it go with it i think in a similar vein um again these are like leon said these are books that i found spoke to me but not uh not necessarily in any particular order. So one that follows on fairly well from Mr. Miracle is number one with a bullet. Now I'm currently watching the new season of Black Mirror. And I think this is a perfect complement to to those kinds of stories. Um, we've only got two issues so far, but number one with the bullet, which we've previously spoken about and was one of Leon's suggestions for the rest of us, um, has this perfect like paranoid vibe about distrust in new technologies. Um, so if you like that kind of twilight, new Twilight Zone, new Black Mirror type stuff, I think that's a great pick. Uh, do you guys have anything to, to add on to that? Um, not really, no, because you've pretty much just hit it on the head and been really um, 
really succinct and really kind of like you've managed to say what i what would have taken me an entire page of a4 paper to to get out so <laughs> i like to be economic yes yeah say. yeah, <laughs> yeah then, um so i'll, I'll just add uh, yeah, go ahead. on what you're saying the only reason number one of a bullet isn't on my list just because there's two issues so any uh i was tempted but I, I need to see i need to see more but um like yeah i, I think it's as a as as a new comic, it's had a great uh, great um, sort of start, and um, I'm really interested to see where it goes. Like as you as you're saying, it does really uh, dovetail or like uh, work really uh, work mm. well in tandem with uh, Black Mirror, um, and it, it's really good at yeah. um, uh, conveying like the paranoia and sort of the ethical and moral quandaries that we face uh in this world where um technology is are is just an extended organ for us now and mm-hmm. uh sort of the questions that we and silicon valley never really um considered when the creation of all these things started um and how the the uh, quickness in how uh, mm. the ubiquity in uh, us all having supercomputers in our pockets with cameras uh, connected to the internet uh, has happened at such a quick pace that we've not really um, discussed or really um, con- uh, considered fully the implications of all of this. Um, and this is really sort of like a horrible sort of slide downwards into the the extremes uh and it, it it's setting in in terms of like five minutes down the road type thing mm-hmm. uh, similar to black mirror makes it a lot more um engaging than if it was this like far off future thing um mm. but yeah like i love i love um uh jacob Simon's writing on it and i think uh jorge uh, corona's art is just cool in this really awesome sort of late 90s uh mtv uh starway yeah no it's uh no it's... i agree with everything yeah on, on that and also i like the the point that you made about um silicon valley not quite thinking through the ramifications of the tech they're introducing to the world i like to see it the other side where they they have considered it and they don't care and they're doing it anyway and i kind of like these kind of stories that make me feel a bit shit that way um, <laughs> so yeah, that, 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 works, that works for me a lot um oh dear. and then well and then um i guess my next one isn't really in the same vein i think it is a bit more of a departure from this paranoid pill thing that we've just talked about uh secret weapons which i think we've all read um i think i picked this more less on the story and more on the characters and the art style i think yeah. um i'm not actually that engaged with the story that it's telling i think i just really like the relationship between all the people in this story i really like who they are and how they you know interact with each other and yeah um just like these slightly offbeat methods of using their, their the powers that they have so it's kind of like a a modern day update to uh, the x-men mutants type thing where we have this collection of outcast mutants who are trying to um fight for their survival and safety um i just i just love the gorgeous artwork in it um I, you guys didn't have this on your list right i haven't read it <laughs> you haven't read it nope. okay <laughs> yeah yeah i've it's, got it's... the first couple of issues but i haven't um got around to reading it yet but this is the uh 
the Eric Heiser uh, written one, isn't it? It is, yeah. And again, I think I've been a lot more loose with my picks for favorites of the year than you guys have. I think this is just something that um, it was very evocative to me at the time. And I just have this very vivid image of the covers and like how bright and bold the, the covers are in my head. Um, and similarly, moving on to my next one, uh, Met Cadet U, which I just adore. I think I've talked about Takeshi Miyazawa's artwork in the past in the yeah, context yeah. of Miss Marvel. Um, I really love this story. I like that it's basically, or to me, it feels like a manga colorized and blown up to Western comic size. Mm, yeah. And it's just this adventure, uh, like adventurous, big, bold action, sense of fun and simplicity with like, um, fairly easy to understand motivations and antagonists. And I think I just like that it's uh, a breath of fresh air to be as simple as this, you know, not overcomplicated with the machinations of um, like who the bad guys and good guys mm. are. Like, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like big toys playing together. It looks like, you yeah. know, Transformers like being bashed together on the page. And Jeez. I just, I loved it. So the reason I loved it so much as well, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a love letter to 70s Mecca. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then next, um, I think maybe I should have put this higher up, closer to Mr. Miracle, but The Beautiful Death, uh, which I brought up a few times and I finally convinced you guys to to read it. And uh, sorry, I, I should have had the name up here. I've forgotten who. Mathieu Bablet. That was That's it. it yeah. um, and it's actually a French comic that came out quite a few years ago, but has been reintroduced to, to England and America. Um, and it's this post-apocalyptic story of just... Uh, a world where the human population has been decimated and we're following a group of people just surviving. Um, and I like that it's it's quiet and um, just beautifully put together. I think the, the artwork is fantastic. I, I put it in the context of James Stucco. Was it, is it James Stucco, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, he's my, uh, my one of my favourite artists because of his ability to make, like... Um to take to, to to just like beautiful detail in everything mm. kind of thing and i think matthew bablet does a similar thing with this but it speaks to me a bit more because of how the just maybe it's just the setting of mm. it being these um met- metropolitan cities that have been not not necessarily laid to waste but just emptied of mm. all humanity and i just i love how much detail and energy and effort has been put into expressing this this concept um so I'd pick that. And then my final suggestion, which I think is a bit off kilter um, because it's not a comic. It's a video game called Gorogoa, which came out towards the tail end of 2017. Um, I don't know if you've noticed a running theme as we go down my list, but there are fewer and fewer words in each of these comics. Um, and I think I've expressed this a number of times in previous episodes, how I like I like stories which um, use the medium in that they don't in that they use the artwork to express what's happening at the behest of using lots of words i don't i don't i don't read comics to read lots of words i want to see pictures in marriage with words and what gorogoa does is it's a it's a video game where you get to play with the this four panel square construction um and play through this story and without giving too much of a video game review um i I don't want to go too much into the mechanics of how it works, but it's essentially you get to play with the layering and the framework of these images. And it tells this story that's pretty vague, um, but it has these themes of regret and making up for past mistakes that really worked for me. Um, 
and it's very open interpretation. And while not as like emotionally resonant as maybe it's aiming for, it's very evocative. And it has this moody and wistful tone that really worked for me. And um, to the focus of it really being from from the perspective of comics, the artwork is fantastic. It's this hand-drawn labor of love where each panel layers into each other. And I think it's really hard to describe what it's doing mechanically. And I think it's worth checking out a YouTube video of this game. So it's Gorogoa, G-O-R-O-G-O-A. And I don't know if we've talked about it in the in the cast in the past but leon has described me as being thirsty for this game and i think that's accurate so if (laughs) i could if i had to pick a my favorite comic that's not a comic of 2017 it would be gorogoa yeah and that's the game uh developed by jason roberts and published by annapurna interactive who had a really good year this year they've had a fantastic year and i can't wait to see what else they do in 2018 i guess i guess if we're talking games that aren't comics then I can talk about the fact that I got well into Injustice too. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, go for <laughs> You no, guys, there's have not dived deep into not, that. Not a lot to say about it other than it's just like having a box of action figures. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like we, we were saying um, while we were uh, recently playing it together for the first time. It's one of those things where I don't love the designs of all the characters, but I think they work well for the game in a weird way because everyone yeah. sort of bulky armory and they've got really uncanny valley faces but like man it's just it it sort of rekindled my love because i don't know if i've ever spoken about on the cast but like my my two favorite heroes uh being batman and spider-man i always beyond those two i always really liked dc comics growing up and i think that's probably because of uh bruce tim but um like I used to read uh, a lot more of like DC stuff, and it was only later on, like apart from X Men as well. Sorry, it was only later on that I would re- re- read mm. like the big events. But I- I've read a lot more of the DC big events as a kid, like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, etc. So like this has just rekindled that like love of DC, which was sort of being killed because of the DC uh, EU and the mm. sort of sort of. Uh, it's no secret that I'm not a big fan of the. Uh, cinematic universe uh, that uh, dc are giving us at the moment and i find it like devoid of character and wonder um and i like injustice 2 brings back that fun and Mm. with it's like really over the top like uh special moves and supers yeah um and it's just like so much there's so much love uh for like these heroes and these worlds in there and it's just displayed unapologetically uh it's just really fun and the like it it plays really fun and the graphics are like amazing um yeah that <laughs> is an experience and it, it was it was fun uh playing it with greg over the weekend yeah no it's it's great fun it's like uh, like i described before it's like it's like having a box of action figures of your favorite characters apart from the fact that the faces are wrong so wrong <laughs> but the rest of the rest of it's great i love it and um it's not even like because it's a, a beat-em-up game like a, a fighting game you you would expect it to be mostly about playing online and playing in versus matches and things like that but actually i think one of the most enjoyable things about it is the multiverse mode where after you finish the main story um or you can do it before you you can do it at any point i guess but i i did it afterwards where it's like uh, do you remember mission mode on soul Calibur? The uh, Soul yeah, Calibur yeah. is like a weapon-based fighting game. 
Um, so the mission mode on Soul Calibur, but with um, ever-changing, regenerating missions. So it's like an, it's like infinite, infinite mission mode, where um, you you go to the multiverse, you go to like the Brother Eye multiverse thing, as they call it on the uh, on the game. It's like the uh, the Brother Eye multiverse monitoring system, and um, you get to select a world to travel to. You travel to that world. That the the, the entry to that that world is only open for so long. So like a, a couple of days or something in real time. And in that world, there's a number of missions that you can complete to earn extras. So you earn like extra shaders for your characters or like extra, um, you can earn mother boxes. And when you decode the mother boxes, you get extra equipment and things like that. And you can custom, cause you can customize what your characters look like as well. So you can, uh, customize the costumes and things, um, by adding like, you can get different masks and stuff like that for Catwoman and that kind of stuff. And uh, different types, different insignias to put on Superman's chest. So it's still the classic S, but it looks slightly different kind of thing. Different art styles, things that emulate different appearances of different characters and different comics and that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's great the way they do it and the way it's all put together. Um, and also these items give you different powers when you're doing multiverse mode as well. So they make it, make you hit harder and things like that. And so it makes the missions easier and stuff but yeah so very much like mission mode but infinite mission mode which i think is really fun so you, you, you you're forced to fight under certain parameters like uh in a you you have to fight five people in a row and win but you're not allowed to jump too much because if you jump it takes health off you for example that kind of stuff that's cool yeah uh, I've, I've not fully delved into the multiverse yet but I, I'm, I'm gonna jump in because I, I saw I saw all the high levels of your characters and I'm like oh screw this guy <laughs> uh, and that's Injustice 2 developed by Neverrealm who did the recent Mortal Kombat games um, and um, directed by uh, Ed Boon who is uh, Mr. Mortal Kombat so yeah it's good. I mean, I'm never, I'm never gonna buy this game because I don't like fighting games. But I've watched every single intro and clash and like story beat, and it's fantastic. It's so funny and just like, I don't know. It's a labor of love. I think it, it, there's such an affection for these characters in those games. I yeah. feel. It makes me want to know about these characters who I've never heard of before. Like, who's that? Who's the the weird frost guy? The ice. Character? Oh, um, uh, Captain Cold. Captain Cold. Yeah. Yeah. He's a... Who's? I mean, why wouldn't they pick? Mr. Freeze, but they pick this guy instead. It's awesome. I want to read all about him. I have no idea who he is. He's a bad guy from Flash Comics. I see. <laughs> uh, but but Captain Cold like has a uh, a skin that effectively turns him into Mr. Freeze. It gives him new dialogue and makes him look like Mr. Freeze. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, before we leave this, I've got to say though, my one big negative <laughs> is the Joker design. <laughs> oh, Lord, no, yeah. I was trying to avoid <laughs> talking about that, but yeah. It looks like... Uh, <laughs> Jared Leto and um, uh, what's his name from Beauty and the Beast like had a baby uh, and it was even more damaged. <laughs> it's horrible. It's the worst thing ever. Um, anyway, so uh, I guess that leaves us to what we're looking forward to in 2018. So we've talked about everything we loved about 2017. That's 2017 oh, well, well, over and done with, I guess. Before we move into 2018, were there any other honourable mentions for stuff we found in 2017 that wasn't necessarily um, uh, yes, like yes. made in 2017 or at least in 2017? You had a couple, right, Greg? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm skipping here now. So yeah, so this is the uh, <laughs> this is the honourable mentions, as uh, Ray quite rightly pointed out, of things that we've discovered or, or well, discovered is the wrong word. Things that we found in 2017 that 
uh weren't necessarily published in 2017 so i'm just just run through these quickly so for me uh my big thing was discovering archie comic well finding archie comics because i never really been much of a archie fan it just sort of flew under my radar but last year was the big year for archie for me um i've gotten big into archie comics um mainly the um the sort of uh 26 2015 i think maybe 2016 uh re kind of like redos of archie where you've got like fiona staples on art duties and things like that and chips Adarsky, yeah doing the writing and that kind of stuff and uh just to name two of the people that work on it but mm-hmm. uh yeah i've as as archie comics in general i'm talking so like uh, all the all the different threads so like the uh betty and veronica book the um the archie solo book uh jughead had a solo book that was really cool um and then there's like all the uh the horror stuff as well that i kind of found and and loved like um afterlife of archie and uh chilling adventures of sabrina which is one that leon's got there as well but yeah no these are all things that i um i found last year and enjoyed and it's all it's all archie stuff (laughs) ray things you found yeah um so a couple of things one that i basically i picked up Giant Days, Volume 1, because my girlfriend had Volume 1 on paperback, um, just because I think she flicked through it and just really enjoyed the art style. And I saw that they were on sale on Comixology, and I was like, I don't want a paper book. I'll download the books from Comixology. So I downloaded Volume 1, and I fell in love with it. And so I downloaded Volume 2, and then 3, and then 4, and then 5. And I bought all of them, like, and I read them all over the course of one week. Gorgeous gorgeous artwork and really sweet slice of life stories about these um by these young women who are attending university and just the the things that they're going through the emotional highs and lows of university life in england and it's great um and then another one another tom king uh story the vision which you guys introduced me to i believe one of our listeners um encouraged us to to get on this and it started my love affair with the tom king stories the vision is amazing i think it's 2015 2016 maybe but yeah like in my head it feels like a 2017 story just because i was introduced to it last year um and doing similar things to the mr miracle run where it's asking these really big broad heavy questions without necessarily giving you all the answers and that just it super works for me yeah those are my two not found sorry not made in 2017 but found in 2017 picks so leon found in 2017 um got a couple as you previously mentioned uh chilling adventures of sabrina by uh robert aguayo sarcasa the current riverdale showrunner and uh robert art done by robert hack um that was a book that was uh i, I think i'd read an issue or so back when because I, I was coming off the back of afterlife of archie but i fully delved into it this year ahead of the episode that we uh, we spoke about it on and yeah fell in love and i'm super happy uh and hyped for the uh, netflix show um which is also going to yes. be uh show run by sarcasa yes the netflix riverdale show is really good as well and that was our halloween yeah. episode that was yeah last year's halloween. so um Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I think um, it's had a weird release schedule, but I think it would. I think that's because uh, Aguayo Sacasa has been kind of busy. But um, I would definitely recommend people check that out. Um, a, another one I spoke on a previous episode uh, was Your Black Friend by Ben Pasmore, uh, that uh, short story uh, dealing with sort of the 
the uh, complex realities uh, and weird sort of inconsistencies and push and pull you can get uh, just being like a black man and like having to function in in a world where you're a minor- minority. Um, they listen to that past episode if you want me to go deeper into that. But yeah, that um, that was a really uh, nice find, um, which I think I might be able to thank amazon for that i think it came up and suggested like one of the few times that's ever been useful for me so that was good um thanks and then yeah thanks alexa Uh, and then she can hear you (laughs) (laughs) sorry anybody that we've made your alexa speak um and the last two are two that i got in the bundles that we spoke about early uh, in the year so got the infinite loop uh by uh pierre uh colinet and elsa charretier um, and that's the uh, cool sort of time travel uh, uh adventure book. Yeah, kind of adventure book. It's more sort of like a, a paranoid thriller in some ways. But um, that was a really interesting find. And that's a, a full-on graphic novel. Like, read it all in one go. So um, I definitely uh, recommend that. And uh, in that same bundle was East of West, which is something that I've been hearing about for a while um and um i think when i was watching an interview um of uh Ta-Nehisi coates ahead of our black panther episode two uh, mm. uh, epi- uh our episode um he mentioned it as a comic that he was enjoying what was going on and so i delved in um and it's something that i do want to continue i've only read the first two uh, equivalents of trades uh issue wise and i want to continue because it, it's really <laughs> Uh, idiosyncratic world um, and it, it, it does this sort of this it does this cool sort of post-apocalyptic like high level future thing uh, fantasy future thing but in not a dull sort of EMP dull way instead you've got this whole regime and America split in a really different way than we see, normally see in fiction so um, I do like sort of these near or quasi uh, alternative history type things and I think East of West uh, done by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Tregota uh, handles that really well mm-hmm. um, and uh, I guess now we can move on to what we're looking forward to <laughs> <laughs> so uh, me and Ray have just got like a bit of a rundown of things that are coming out in 2018 that we think we think that we think that we should well we're looking forward to we think they're going to be great and uh, we think that you guys will probably think they're great as well um so i'll start off uh, a book from boom studios called abbott which is about a um she's according to the, the blurb she's a um a journalist and uh she kind of gets interested in crimes that are being ignored by the police um or seem to be being ignored by the police. Um, these crimes she recognises as things that um, are supernatural, dark, magical, and um, it's all got something to do with what happened to her husband. Um, and it's all set in the 1970s. So it's um, it's like around the time that Nixon was in and everything else. And it's it's like a, a, I think that's going to be a really cool setting, really cool, interesting place to explore. And um, I'm quite liking the look of this book, definitely. Um, and that is uh, going to be that is uh, the writer for that is uh, Saladin Ahmed, who is your guy from Black Bolt, and uh, art by Sami Cavella. 
Um, next on the list of things I'm looking forward to is uh, Marvel's big event next year, which will be Infinity Countdown, which is, as you can probably guess, the return of the Infinity Stones. Bit of Adam Warlock, bit of Thanos, bit of Cosmic Peril bit of everything that i loved about marvel at one time so i'm hoping that this is going to be as great as it sounds kind of weird that they've uh done a uh in- infinity storyline yeah. i wonder what they're tying that up with i know yeah it's a bit it's a bit left to center that i mean you know <laughs> not not like they've got anything else coming out with infinity in the name is it i mean it's called the countdown event right <laughs> <laughs> wonder what it's the countdown to mm. <laughs> um there's um, the Swamp Thing Winter Special, which is coming out soon that I was looking forward to, mainly because it's more Swamp Thing. And I don't think there's enough Swamp Thing these days. And I love Swamp Thing. So, yeah, <laughs> Swamp Thing Winter Special. Um, there's uh, This one's a bit a bit of a weird one that I'm looking forward to. It's um, a bit left to centre because it's, it's called Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. Um, <laughs> now, uh, if you're all familiar with the Hanna-Barbera character Snagglepuss... Big pink cat with a collar and a tie and a hat. Says heavens to Murgatroyd. Um, now, what they're doing is they've... Basically, what DC... DC have been doing this recently where they've been taking Hanna-Barbera characters and re-injecting life into them in, in, you know, in a modern way or whatever. Um, and uh, what they're reimagining them slightly. And what they've done... Because obviously we've had like the fantastic um, Dastardly and Mutley last year. Uh, that started last year it's still going uh what we've got here is we've got uh they're now doing snagglepuss um and this imagines snagglepuss as a um a gay playwright from the south of america so a gay playwright in the south um during the sort of height of mccarthyism in america so like 1950s um states is in a nuclear arms race with the soviet union um and it's like uh, Snagglepuss ends up drawing the attention of the uh, the House Committee of Un-American Activities, um, and it's like there's like pur- a purge going on within show business um, of uh, you know subversive left of centre voices and whatever, and um, Snagglepuss ends up being one of the people caught in the crosshairs, um, and I I think I think it's really a really interesting. Sounds just sounds super interesting and super original. Like, what a way to treat a cartoon character, you know? I just think, yeah, yeah it just sounds like a great, a great thing. I, I would have loved I, to be in the room for that pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe how interested I am. I am in something called the Snagglepuss Chronicles. That's, <laughs> it sounds great. I'm going to have to pick that up. Yeah, I think I think one of the main the the, the greatest things about it as well is that he's still a pink cat. <laughs> like they've they've still got like the animals are still at they're still animals in this i think so yeah um following on from there you've got um well it's already out i'm kind of already holding it in my hand uh issue one of batman and the signal so this is like batman's latest ward latest uh sidekick is a, a um character called the signal um now, this character's origins are back in the Endgame storyline from the New 52. Um, and uh, I shan't talk too much about what his origins are and everything else because I'm sure that's all going to get revealed in this new book because I believe that's the point of it. Um, and it sort of like follows on from the pages of Metal, which is 
where his powers manifest. Um, so he's he's Batman's sidekick, but he's kind of a metahuman at the same time. And yeah, I'm I'm really looking. For, well, I was looking forward to it. I have it in my hand. It's great, uh, but I'm looking forward to more of it. So yeah, Batman and the Signal. Um, and then on from there, I've got the um, one of the last things on my list, which is a book called Ice Cream Man, which is a image book um and the story is by a man called w maxwell prince uh art by martin morazzo and chris o'hallahan and this is kind of like a um how do you uh describe it's like an anthology slash one shot type type deal where um you've got this kind of cosmic being being a god being a demon god only knows what he is uh and he's an ice cream man and he's he's in the form of an ice cream man in an ice cream truck and each book is going to be a separate story um, where he has some kind of influence. Um, and I think it's like a... Um, it's, it's it's almost in the same vein as another book that I loved last year called Diablo House. I think it's going to be along those lines where it's the Ice Cream Man is kind of like weaving the stories and he's like... Um, he can change the course of your life forever type thing. Uh, and I think it's going to be like the ramifications of asking him for something, kind of like the Diablo House type deal. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I think you were looking forward to this as well, weren't you, Ray? Yeah, it's something I just noticed on the the roster of upcoming Image um, comics. And I think that comes out January the 17th, so it's not far off. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close to that one. Um, and then uh, there's another one that's an Image book um, that I've got on my list, which is Oblivion Song, which is another one, again, that was on Ray's list as well. Um, and uh, that is going to be a post-apocalyptic... Um, how do I describe this? It's it's by the same guy that did Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah, and I can't remember his name. Robert Kirkman. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's like the po- it's like how people deal with a seismic supernatural event. So one world bleeding into another um, and like how like the sort of the ramifications of that and the in how how the you know the people of earth are dealing with the fact that this this other other world has encroached upon this other dimension has encroached upon their space kind of thing um mm. kind of like uh to me it sounds like it's um a bit the realm a little like a little bit the walking dead a little bit the realm which was a comic from last year it was also great which has similar themes um i don't know what you make of it ray yeah, I mean, the the way I heard it pitched was it's about 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia suddenly lost in something called the Oblivion. Um, and it's about this one guy who makes daily trips, risking his life to try and rescue those that may or may not still be living in this hellscape. Um, sounds kind of cool to me. Uh, just curious to see where it goes. And I have some faith in Robert Kirkman. I mean, I, I kind of fell off the edge of The Walking Dead after issue 100, which if you've read to issue 100, you would know exactly why I stopped reading at issue 100. But I'm willing to give it another go. Seems interesting. So, yeah, I was never yeah. I was never a fan of The Walking Dead. I was already I was already tired of zombie apocalypse by then. So hmm. but this 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 is sounding something something pretty different, something pretty cool. So, yeah, that's why I'm interested. Um, and Ray, I guess uh, it's whatever's on your list now. Yeah, I've got a bunch. Um, and there's one standout, which I will say for the end. So um, first one, Twisted Romance. Uh 
which is by story by Alex DeCampi, and apparently it's going to have a guest writer for every other issue. Um, and it's all about tales of love gone wrong, right, and everywhere in between. So issue number one, which comes out on February the 7th by Image Comics, is called Old Flames, set in New York City in 1978. And the blurb from the website is, there are thousands of ways for people to get together. There's only one agency dedicated to tearing them apart, Heartbreak Incorporated. <laughs> and that in, in itself sounds great to me. So I'll be looking forward to that. Um, there's Lockjaw. Um, which comes out on February 28th by Marvel. Writer Daniel Kibblesmith, um, art by Carlos Villa, I believe. Um, and it's Lockjaw, the giant dog from The Inhumans. Um, I don't really know about Lockjaw from Ms. Marvel, but that's enough to get me interested. Uh, what else is there? There's the new Kick-Ass and the new Hit-Girl, which I'm not super sold on, but I'm curious to see where it goes. Issue one of Kick-Ass will be out on February the 14th. Um, issue one of the new Hit-Girl will be out on February 21st. Um, both being done by Mark Miller again and um, John Romita Jr. and Ricard Lopez-Ortiz for Hit-Girl. Uh, what else is there? There was Lucy Dreaming, which is a Boom Studios comic coming out March 21st. Uh, writer Max Bemis, I believe, and artist Michael Dialnesis, Dialnesis, Dialness, even. Um, and the the blurb from the website says, a sweeping coming-of-age fantasy about living your dreams, literally. In her dreams, Lucy is the hero of all her favorite stories, living each night as a grand adventure. Um, just the cover, again, like as so many comics, the cover sold me on this vibrant, radiated, like, yellow-purple wash against a muted white-pink violet, um, you know, uh, foreground of futuristic soldiers firing into the air. It looks cool. Um, so I'll be picking up on that. Uh, what else did I have? I've already mentioned X-Men Grand Design, which I was going to discuss as a 2018 comic, but as Greg rightly put, it started at the tail end of 2017, so we've already talked about that enough. And the standout for me, um, aside from Ice Cream Man, which Greg talked about, is Hungry Ghosts, a Dark Horse comic, uh, issue one coming out on January the 31st and it's written by Anthony Bourdain the chef and Joel Rose um, art by Alberto Ponticelli and Vanessa Del Rey and um, paraphrasing from the Dark Horse website synopsis it's inspired by the Japanese Edo period parlor game of Hyaku Monogatari Kaidankai which literally translates to a gathering of 100 supernatural tales so Hungry Ghosts reimagines the classic stories of yokai, yurei, and obake, which translate to monsters, spirits, and transformed beings, respectively, all tainted with a common thread of food. So issue one is called First Course, and um, the synopsis describes it as, with bad consequence, a ramen chef refuses to help a beggar, and a band of pirates get more and less than they were bargaining for after their encounter with a drowning woman. That, that sounds... Super interesting. And yes. the fact that it's written by Anthony Bourdain is just is mind-blowing to me. That's kind of cool. Um, uh, side note, uh, Hyaku Monogatari Kaidankai is is a game um, similar in its like tabooness as Ouija boards are in Western culture, where 100 candles are lit and 100 ghost stories are told. And at the end of each story, a candle is, ex is extinguished. So the room gets darker and darker as the night goes on. I mean, there's more to it than that, but check the Wikipedia. It's a super interesting concept, and it sounds like it would be right up your alley, Greg. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That sounds like such fun as well. So, yeah, yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, yeah. I can't wait for that, but that's, yeah. that's my list of 
yeah what i'm looking forward to at least for what's been announced for 2018 so far yeah that's it i mean obviously there's going to be more to come this is just the beginning and this mm. is just what we already know about i mean there's going to be loads loads more hopefully 2018 turns out to be just as good as last year for comics <laughs> no doubt yes so um i guess to end this episode we have a question um so question from the multiverse um again from our serial questioner mike who has asked us several questions before um and uh he's written in again so mike asks hey guys hope you had a good christmas uh love the seasonal podcast greg said in the last episode that he hadn't really read a hellboy but always wanted to uh, I was just wondering if any of you guys have a comic book series that you've always wanted to read, but I've never got around to. For me, it's always been Transmetropolitan. Uh, for no good reason, I've just never gotten around to reading it. So, um, also, he said, you asked what comic stuff we got for Christmas, but what comics did you guys receive, if any? I only got two this year. However, I did get the inf- gift The Infinite Loop to someone for Christmas based on your recommendation. Um, and he sent us a picture of the comics that he received for Christmas which i am i can include it with the episode but i'll bring it up now to um so i can i can tell you what he got um two seconds while greg does that i should point out this is probably my fault because i deleted the pictures from the shared document that we use so sorry for that greg that's all right not a problem (laughs) um so this year he got uh asterix and the chariot race um, and he got Hellboy in Hell, uh, hardback, Mike Minola. I think it's a hardback. looks like a hardback in the picture. Um, I guess, yeah, for me, it's Hellboy. Hellboy's the one. Um, you kind of answered my question for me by reminding me that I'd said that. So, yeah, <laughs> Hellboy for me is the comic that I, uh, I've never read but should read, and for no real good reason, I've never gotten around to it. It's not been that I've never wanted to. It's just that I just never, never have. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to read more Hellboy going forward. To answer your second question, Mike, for Christmas this year, I received my uh, wonderful, amazing girlfriend bought me the new Fourth World Omnibus. So the Jack Kirby's Fourth World Omnibus, which is like this huge hulking hardback book. <laughs> it's, it's scary, scarily big, but it's it's, it's also really, really cool. Um, I got that. I got uh, Grant Morrison uh, Multiversity, which is like the collection of the Grant Morrison Multiversity thing that he did uh, for DC Comics. Um, I got a volume of Harrow County, I got Harrow County Volume 2, and I got um, Afterlife of Archie in softback, because I already had it, like, digitally, but now I have it in softback, so that's cool. I've actually got a copy of it now. Um, yeah, that was that was my Christmas comics. Oh, uh, also, I got bought um, an early Christmas present by Ray, because he bought me a lot of Archie comics from the Humble Bundle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ray, anything, any, any uh, comics that got away? I guess a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, God, so much stuff. Everything, everything that I haven't read. <laughs> um, like, Michael, uh, Transmetropolitan has always been on my list. That's something that you and Leon have been trying to convince me to read, and I do have volume one sat on my shelf waiting for me. Same with Hellboy. Um, I guess there's there's a bunch, like, more Superman stuff and DC in general I'm really behind on. I want to read more about The Punisher. I want to read uh, Usagi Yojimbo, which you've gone on about a lot. Um, all of Sin City, all of Hellblazer, all of Judge Dredd. All of Akira, all of Dragon Ball, everything, just everything. There's, there's so much stuff yeah. to catch up on. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for stuff I got for Christmas, um, much like you, Greg, my wonderful, amazing girlfriend's brother uh, bought me a comic, which was um, City of Glass, uh, Paul Astor's City of Glass, but uh, adapted into comic form 
by Paul Karasik with art by David Mazzucchelli, who uh, we all know as the artist of Batman Year One. Um, City of Glass was written in 1985, which is the first in the New York trilogy of postmodern detective fiction novels. Um, and for this comic, I've only read as far as the introduction by Art Spiegelman, but he explains that the project of this was not making, uh, quote, dumbed down classics illustrated versions, but visual translations, end quote, of popular literature. And so I'm really looking forward to, to reading oh, this. Oh, that sounds really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Leon? I didn't receive any comics uh, for Christmas. That's the, the world I'm in. <laughs> but uh the closest thing i got my uh, sister got me a cool spider-man t-shirt as one of one of the gifts she got me uh, and i bought myself injustice 2 on christmas eve <laughs> but yeah I, I didn't really receive um any comics but um like in terms of uh, comics i should have read i have a bigger issue with there's loads of comics where i read the first trade uh sort of during my 20s and always promised myself that I would go back and didn't. Um, and uh, a couple of those are like Astro City uh, by uh, Kurt Busiak and uh, Brent Anderson. I uh, read the first two trades of that. Uh, never completed. Uh, most of these are going to be um, Vertigo, by the way, because I was a big Vertigo junkie. Um, uh, the uh, was it 100 Bullets. Um that's one that I discovered around the same time I started reading Why the Last Man. Um, but while with Why the Last Man, I continued buying the trades and caught up. Uh, 100, 100 Bullets, I didn't. But I always found the, uh, the, the, the setup of that story to be really interesting. Um, there's uh, Brian Wood and Ricardo Bercelli, um, DMZ. Uh, another one where I'd read a bit. Um, but never completed it. Uh, fables. This is a big one because I have read a lot of fables, um, but then I stopped at a particular time. Uh, it's not like I was reading it at the time when these issues came out. It was a couple of years after, but I stopped, and then I didn't pick it up again. And now there's endless issues. Uh, it's finished now, but uh, yeah, now there's endless issues and. I remember a couple of years ago, I played The Wolf Among Us, the Telltale game uh, set before Fables, um, and you play as uh, like Bigsby, and that got me like rehyped to uh, like reread and like jump back into Fables, but I didn't get around to it just because you know when you look up that hill, uh, you look up that mountain, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to this. Like, I'll, I won't die. I'll, I'll do it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hellblazer is another one. I've always wanted to read the Hellblazer comics, and I've dabbled with some of them at the beginning, oh, God, the yeah. Constantine yeah. story. But I've just uh, I've never got in, never properly um, uh, got into it. Okay. Uh, sorry, I was going to say. I guess you could add to my list. I hate Fairyland. Scott Young's I oh, hate yeah, Fairyland because yeah. it's, it's something that I've I've wanted to read for a while, but I've never done. Um, there's a lot of um, when I think back, there's, there's there's so many things that I've, you know, I've wanted to read but never have. And it's just like, the list is so long. <laughs> so, so long. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I, I, I could go forever. There's a lot of yeah. uh, cre- creator-owned ones, which um, some I own already. 
um, and some that uh, I just always hear like mentioned as like comics that you should read. So I've got a very long bucket list. It's like, like with every medium that I'm a big fan of, they could stop releasing any new content for the next sort of three, four years. And you'd be fine. Uh, <laughs> I know, I still wouldn't catch up. Yeah. <laughs> it would It would help. Yeah. So if the industries would just like to, to pause for no, a few years. No, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I think the only solace we can take from this is that our children, when we eventually have them, um, will have a much harder time to catch up on everything <laughs> that we have to catch up on. But we've also experienced just through lifetime of actually picking up stuff that is current to us, the young fools. So, <laughs> well, well, Godspeed to them, I guess. <laughs> So when they're when they're listening to this podcast, uh, in twenty years' time, when it's beamed directly into their brain, yeah. But yeah, I will just end mine on Transmetropolitan as well, uh, Warren Ellis, uh, Derek Robertson going, because while I've read a couple trades of that as well, I just I didn't complete it. Never so, finished it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't think another I've... Derek Robertson book is The Boys. I'm like yeah. two thirds of the way oh, through man. that, but I haven't read it in years. I don't think I've actually finished Transmetropolitan either. You know, thinking about it, <laughs> I think that's I think that's one that got away from all of us. Um, <clears throat> so um, I guess unless anybody's got anything else to add to that, it wraps us up. I'm done onwards yep. with 2018 yeah so that was our sort of retrospective look back at 2017 our hopes and dreams for 2018 <laughs> um so yeah that's been the uh, first show of uh 20, 2018 2018 damn <laughs> 2018 80. for ace comicals um so uh yeah happy new year and um you can find us on facebook under ace comicals you can find us on twitter under ace comicals you can find us um on wordpress which is acecomicals.wordpress.com um if you want to ask us a question um send in your questions to acecomicals at gmail.com or i mean you can get you can uh, ask us questions via the twitter account or facebook you can send us messages you can uh you can send us uh, DMs on Twitter, or you can even just give us an at reply. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, B-A-T-T-O-U. Guys, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Monkey, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. Uh, uh, and you can find me at Leon Everett, and before I sign off, I'll just say, check out uh, Legion, Atomic Blonde, and Runaways, if you haven't yet, for media that was really good in 2017, based on comics. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um... I mean, you can find this podcast in various places. You can go to our website, which is like the hub for everything, which is www.acecomicals.com. Uh, actually, you can also find us on Instagram uh, under Ace Comicals. Um, this podcast is available on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, a um, couple others that I haven't mentioned because I can never remember the full list. Go to the website and you'll find them all. You'll find something yeah. that services your needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you subscribe to a podcast service, you will uh, you'll be able to listen to us. The only one that we're not on yet because they don't let British people do that sort of thing is Google Play. I think we need to stop talking about that, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna... it's, a new, it's a new year. Give it up. I'm going to keep talking about it till Google listen. <laughs> no. I know, I know. It's basically an ant shouting at a giant, but I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep doing. <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, that has been the first show of 2018 for Ace Comicals. That's number 26. So Ace Comicals, over and out.